0: Everybody, here we go. Up <laughs> to Neverland. Ah, think of a wonderful thought, any merry little thought. Think of Christmas, think of snow, think of sleigh bells. Off you go like reindeer in the sky. <laughs> ah, you can fly, you can fly, you can fly. <laughs>
1: Ohana to the Disney guys uncensored this is episode 87 recorded on November 16th 2020 we're your host Drew Bob Brianna and Tim on today's episode we spotlight a Disney classic attraction Peter Pan's flight so come journey with us as we fly to the second star to the right straight on till morning I am super excited, guys, tonight to talk about everything about Peter Pan's flight uh, with a lot of other fun stuff this uh, this evening. But before we get there, let's head over to BuzzTube. Oh, a pirate's life is a wonderful life, a and over the sea. Give
0: me a career as a buccaneer, it's the life of a pirate for me. Oh, the life of a pirate for me.
2: All right, guys, welcome to BuzzTube. So, we have a couple different things to talk about tonight. Uh, First thing I wanted to mention is if you're not part of the Disney Guys Ohana on Facebook, Come join us every Monday night. We do a pre-show where we go live. Uh, you get to see our beautiful faces and we <laughs> get to talk a lot of fun topics, mostly Disney, some other things it gets a little crazy and we're totally open to conversation. So uh, make sure you come and join us where it's usually only about 20 minutes to a half hour. So um, definitely uh, come join us for next time. And other news: We have um, a question from good friend of the show, Michael Mancher, who kind of made us think a little bit. Um, so the question was: So I imagine I'm going to get a little pushback from this, but I'm curious to hear what the guys have to say about this in a topic of the week or Random House Mouse. We're throwing it to BuzzTube. Um, does Disney have too many princess movies, and should they make, should they be making? Prince movies. Hear me out on this. I mean, yes, Moana and Frozen on all the modern princess movies have the supporting dude who is up all macho and learns to be the better person through the main character. But I feel the young boys should have a role model of their own movie starring in their own movie. Of their own, yes. So uh, then he says that all I'm asking is for. Disney, to have a character for my son to maybe gravitate to when he's old enough to see and understand these movies. He's one for context. Well, I have a young little boy as well. So, and, you know, Drew, you have Evan. Ryan, you mm-hmm. um, have. Mm-hmm. Tim, you have. Tim cats. has cats. Um, <laughs> wow, you guys <laughs> make me sound so cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I want to, I mean, I think I've thought about this a lot because, you know, boys usually gravitate towards like Avengers and star Wars and stuff like that. But I personally like my son likes, I mean, he likes puppy dog pals, but we watch a lot of frozen, you know, we watch, watch a lot of Moana too. So I completely get where he is coming from with hoping to find, you know, or hoping that they eventually have just a Prince starring movie. What do you guys think?
3: I think Aladdin stars a Prince.
2: Yeah. I mean, that is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean I, I think actually Mike
3: made a mention of that Michael sorry Michael made a mention of that in his comments that uh, you know Aladdin it was really Jasmine's movie and I categorically disagree with that assessment of the animated feature I and mean, that is Aladdin's movie through and through mm-hmm. merchandise wise absolutely jasmine uh, 10 12 18 to 1 uh in terms of of merchandise for aladdin and I, i'll tell you the other one for me would have been tangled i think that flynn rider plays a huge part in that movie um it, it's not about him but that's like a co-movie uh for me uh my boys love the princess movies that they, they, they love prince princess tiana and prince naveen um i, I I don't necessarily know. I, I'm gonna not take all of it. I'm gonna let Tim and, and Drew kind of give their opening takes, and then we can go from there if we want to expand a little more. I mean, I think I think it's definitely
1: interesting approach. But I mean, if you look at it, all the princess movies aren't just the fairy tale princess living a happy life, right? A lot of them they they have some type of bad story and become a princess. You know, you know Cinderella is obviously ends in that fairy tale prince and princess, but you know, it's about the journey getting there, which is really different. So I get what what Mike is saying as far as all these princesses end in these beautiful princess dresses and stuff like that. Bub and I had a really good conversation today. Not to steal your thunder, Bub, about um, how many people would really want to just look up or play that role of just a prince. Like, look at Prince Charming. Yep. If, if, if if we made that movie from Prince Charming's point of view. Yep. Would. Would. Would would young boys care?
3: It, no. it, 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 it'd be boring. I, I don't to think them, they right? would. I don't think they would care. Again, but. I don't want to. I don't want to go crazy with it. I I, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't I know that
1: you, they would care. You gave the perfect example today. Would my son rather play with a Prince Charming toy or Hulk from the Avengers? Correct he picked Hulk 10 out of 10 times, right? Correct. So so, so to Michael's point, I, I get it, is that role model, but I think you just maybe need to help him and, and look for new places. Aladdin's a perfect example. Flynn yeah. Rider's a great example. Though they're not princes, technically, I think that's okay. I think princess and princes are just different words for, for different characters, to be honest,
3: you know? Yes, they would I indicate mean, male and female. Yes, Bob, they would.
4: <laughs> Tim, I go think ahead. A, a big thing that we're kind of glossing over is is Disney did try to do this. And in fact, they, they tried three times. Uh, the first two times were Treasure Planet and Atlantis, both of which were movies that critics really wow. rated pretty highly and were at the time Disney's two biggest box office failures ever. And, and those were specifically movies that were made based on marketing research that boys were losing interest in the princess movies. Mm-hmm. And so they decided to make movies that would appeal primarily to a boy audience and then – the secondary characters were made to appeal to, to, to young girls, and, and they failed miserably. Disney rarely loses money on animated movies and did. And then the third one uh, was Tarzan, which was, was a much more balanced approach to it. It was not nearly as action and sci-fi forward as either of those. And of the the true animated classics... Tarzan is the lowest grossing and the most underperforming. And, and at that point, Disney kind of said we need to pack it in, reevaluate things. And uh, they try to just reorient it into the current strategy they're in now where they, they have these movies that have crossover appeal up until a certain age. And then you just off rant the boys audience into star Wars, into uh, the Avengers and Marvel and Spider-Man mm-hmm. and, and these peripheral properties. And and the girls can hang on to the princess a little bit more, but at the age, it's overly gendered, I think, in, in Disney's eyes to just attach the boys to the boy characters, the girls mm-hmm. to the girl characters, because at at that age, kids like everything.
3: Yeah, I, I think you make a valid point about Tarzan. Um, I personally love the movie Tarzan, but you're right. It is one of those that is underperforming in every way. Um, I, I think the Disney princesses are licensed to print money for Disney if you look at and they try to do it with pirates they tried to make pirates that thing in the parks they tried to make pirates that thing uh, in video games in and they they have pirates everything they have pirates comics pirates books they have pirate video games they've got pirate movies they've got pirate cartoons they, they've got everything you can imagine they tried to kind of bankroll the pirates as the as the the male version of the the princess line Fine them now jordan you mentioned puppy dog pals uh because it's a little bit of a younger demographic to be <laughs> fair that's not the, the, the issue here but for me yeah my kids that they, they watch you know puppy dog pals but my boys right now they're they crushing and I, I think andrew made this point to me uh, off the record was they love elena of Avalor mm-hmm. and the new rocketeer That's starring the girl. And I I mean, I don't push them away from it. It is what it is. I, I, they can watch whatever they want. I mean, and they do most of the time. Uh, But I I just, when when Sal gets a little older, he's in a family that loves Disney, that loves the movies for the most part, from what I can tell, except for the nightmare before Christmas, which is neither here nor there. And it's, I don't think you're going to stop Sal from watching sleeping beauty and if he gravitates towards flora fauna and merryweather you're not gonna stop him from that i think what i'm trying to say is i don't necessarily know that you need that male presence to look up to i see no problem in looking up to what princess tiana went through in uh, in the movie in the princess and the frog where she suffers a lot she suffers loss but she's a strong character. If my kids wanted to look up to Princess Tiana in any way, I would have zero problem with that. And I'm not saying Michael would. I, that's not what I'm insinuating here. I just think we as a society become so wrapped up in the girls want princesses and boys want uh, heroes
1: and sword heroes fighters and, and, and
3: right. right. I just think – and that's, and I think, Tim's larger point. Is that it just becomes so societally accepted that it's
4: girls and princesses and boys and, and pirates? XYZ. And yeah. that's the thing. It's so broad at the boys. Well, and the other thing, not to go back to the money thing, is um, you know, if they came out with a Prince movie tomorrow, I mean I'd probably watch it if it was on Disney mm-hmm. Plus. But I'm not yeah. gonna like get super into it, right. you know. But I mean all three of us have significant others, and, mm-hmm. and Jordana is, is a woman. Um, I don't know about you guys. Rachel loves princess stuff. Like, our mm-hmm. house has a bunch of Disney princess stuff. When we go to yeah. the park, she's very into princesses. It, it, that transcends the target audience of little girls. Yeah. Women who grew up with Disney continue to like Disney princesses right. all the mm-hmm. way up through. I mean, that's, that's Disney's wedding line, their engagement line. It's all yeah. princess everything. It's that dream of being a princess. That doesn't translate the same way to males, mm-hmm. so I it, it, I think it's just not profitable in the end as mm-hmm. as universally as the princess stuff. I, is I, I think I I think the one overarching problem is it sounds like
1: Mike just hasn't watched the Black Cauldron and hasn't attached himself to Taran. It's possible, it's strong character. T- I, that's the I answer. Guess. He needs to watch yeah. that with his son and yeah. Taryn to be the role model. Now try to find a Taryn action figure. Good luck, right. Guys. Unless so, you find this guy is what I'm talking about, can't see him. There, there he is. Go.
4: There he is. Not a video podcast, Drew, but uh. yeah. he
3: he has the pop final <laughs> yeah, so. version of Taron. Uh, ultimately, I think all of those things are are accurate points to make. I think that Michael, whatever your son's going to gravitate to, the older he gets, and you're a big Muppet fan, if he falls in love with those Muppet characters, then let him kind of fall in love with those characters
4: well not miss pagey he seemed to have something against her uh he yeah you know i mean i think for the most part most of us do but to that end we covered Fozzie and gonzo as being great wholesome role models and kermit you know yeah and you know what i think we'd be remiss if we didn't at
3: least mention i know your son's one but there's plenty of children's books out there there's a series of books about who is this person let them learn about walt I mean, because Walt was the greatest streamer and perhaps the guy you could look up to the most. It doesn't necessarily mean as a role model in a movie. I understand that. But really, at the end of the day, uh, keep, keep on keeping on, man. Watch Aladdin with the genie. Watch Tarzan like Tim said. Hell, take a look at Atlantis and Treasure Planet. Tim, those never even crossed my mind as films that well, we could even I mean, push for. If Tim can
1: get those two movies in, he's gonna hey, find a way to get I them. Love in. Those no, but
3: in the context <laughs> of this conversation, Tim, it's perfectly valid. I think that absolutely is something you'd want to do. I, I think there's certainly plenty of stuff out there uh, that doesn't have to be shoot 'em up, you know, superheroes or something like that. I think if you look hard enough in the Disney canon, there's plenty of characters out there. I agree.
1: Good question, Mike. Appreciate it. Keep them coming, folks. Um, definitely made you think. And you know, if you guys are listening to this, we'd love to hear your opinion on it. Um, maybe uh, drop a line and, and then the Ohana will we'll get something going. But. So let's head on over to the Disney News Desk.
3: So, big news this last couple of weeks here. Disney Plus has turned one, and it kind of, guys, seems like it's been around forever, no?
4: I was genuinely shocked when I saw one, because it, yeah. it does feel like it's just – it's such a core streaming service now. Yeah,
2: it's – It's been the longest year ever. It has. Oh, just, that that, that, that could true be true, well. too. We've spent a lot
4: of time.
1: it It's come such a long way when we think of that yeah. – first one like the next episode didn't play you couldn't easily search stuff it's watch list wasn't there
3: it's come a long way it really has they've done a great job with just some of the highlights from year one obviously the mandalorian hamilton the imagineering story onward way earlier than we thought it was going to be there Uh, the final season of clone wars shout out to tim for that uh, Howard, the documentary about Howard Ashman, some of the documentary stuff they did, absolutely incredible. I know you were a big fan of the Phineas and Ferb, Candace Against the Universe. Movie. Uh, eight Emmy awards. Granted, seven of those did go to The Mandalorian, but eight Emmy awards. So you need to see that's the bottom stat line there. And not to mention all of the content from the vault that they put out there. Just really a, an excellent year one for Disney Plus in my opinion. I think we're going to talk about. Uh, some earnings in a little bit, but real quick, we do want to pass along that WandaVision is now officially set for a January 15th premiere date. That is the first Marvel offering uh, original content uh, to Disney+, Plus, which is very exciting, and like we did say, Drew, they did end the the quarter with 73 million subscribers, and there are, according to my good friend Drew, who watched the earnings meeting, which we'll talk about in a second, yeah. they have over 100 scripted and unscripted live action TV series in the pipeline crazy crazy no, stuff.
1: I, I just want to be clear too. That's not just Disney Plus but that that's ABC and that, that's You're everything right. that the, you know, but, ESPN documentaries. But, let's be
3: honest. Yeah. Most of it will end up on Disney Plus or Hulu or ESPN Plus or a combination of the package. So, really yep. great stuff there. Lots of stuff coming that's not all we learned from the shareholder mm. meeting. And, of course, we turn it over to Drew for his second favorite thing to do on this show. Talk about money. Mm, and the I'm not sure if it would be butchering people's names when we welcome them to the show. I do love that. Uh,
1: that's oddly enough. So, yeah, shareholder update, guys. Uh, I'm going to go through Twitter quick. I learned my lesson. Bubba was yelled at me, so I just had a few bullets I want to talk about. Disneyland over in California will remain closed to the end of the year. Not a huge shot. We only have about six weeks left, folks. Time's flying. Maybe seven weeks. Um, Walt Disney World, however, is still open and is now operating at thirty-five ca- uh, percent capacity. When it originally opened, it was at twenty-five. Now they've they've upped it about a month or two ago, and it's at thirty-five percent. Walt Disney World um, is at seventy-seven percent booked for the first quarter of twenty twenty-one. So of that thirty-five percent, seventy-seven percent of um, all resorts are at capacity in the the departure capacity. So So that means
3: 77% of the 35%
1: capacity is full. That is correct. So that means if you wanted to go to Disney, really between January and March, you better get your shit together because it is, it, it's 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 nope. almost there it's That's done quarter quarter one ends twelve thirty one. oh i'm sorry i'm sorry quarter one i'm yeah. sorry you're right bub so yeah. between now and the end of the year if you're looking yeah. for a last minute trip for the holiday christmas bump here um, christmas yep there it's very very limited so you better get out there uh the new cruise ships what's the bub? the wishes is the one that we know the name of yeah and what are they making two or three new ships yeah that got pushed back i think. There's three new ships. Wishes to push back one year. I think it's now 2023. I want to say that it was 2022 maybe, and then the two other ones to push back to 2024 and 2025. Um, We're
3: working in shipbuilding, we can appreciate when things get bumped from a schedule like that. So yeah, I
1: mean it's it's COVID is is tough. I mean especially yep. shipbuilding, we see it every day. Uh, yep. in it, it
3: involves a lot of people in close quarters to get and stuff And the materials done. too. The materials too. I mean yes. you can't get the steel. I mean, it's, you got to, so yep. understood. Absolutely. Fiberglass,
1: steel, all that good stuff. Yep. Um, so when compared to the prior year, Disney saw a $1.1 billion decrease in income. Now, listen, that sounds like a lot of money. It's actually not that bad when you think about um, the parts that were open um, and, and what they did. It, it's a lot of money. And, and the reason why it doesn't seem that bad is because of Disney Plus Plus really help bump that so 1.1 billion is is the decrease of income from last year but it, it's it's not too bad now they are doing something that all of us can appreciate disney is expected to spend an additional one billion dollars in 2021 on safety measures so that means they're investing one billion dollars into making you guys the visitors and guests safer cast members, whether it's, you know, benefits or, or payments or making them, you know, buy them safety supplies. Um, All the on-set movie people that are out there trying to film movies and TV shows for you guys, they're investing $1 billion in 2021 additional. So whatever they already have lined up additional for that, I thought that was actually fantastic to hear. Um, A lot of companies could just say, you know, we're going to cancel this or cancel that because we don't have the proper money to do COVID testing and and, and buy masks and and do all of that stuff. Instead, they're going to say we're going to actually addition additional $1 billion to help do that to make everybody safe. So that's kind of what I took away from the shareholder update. There was a lot of other stuff I'm not going to bore you with, but that's ultimately, I thought, the high things that really impact Mm -hmm. all of us.
3: You know what I found interesting, Drew, with the shareholder meeting is that they have another earnings call coming up in the middle of December Mm. uh, to kind of talk strictly kind of like performances of the various um, arms, which I know this kind of did, but this is a specific earnings call. And we have not gotten the number for the Mulan premiere access and we are supposed to be getting it that i think it's december 15th don't hold Mm -hmm. me to that date it's the middle of december and i can't wait because i don't think it was as good because if it was a great number we would have already heard it if it was a great number yeah. We would have known that it was a great number already. They would have announced it here that, oh, Mulan did $200 million worth of business or whatever it is. What mm-hmm. If that's a good number, I don't know. I, I'm very interested to see what that number is. Very
1: interested yeah. to see. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm fully on board there. When we hear it, we'll report it. Yep. Um. What else? about well, back to you. Any other news updates for us?
3: Yeah. So like we kind of touched on in the pre-show, which is live on Facebook and on Rohana Group, every week we record this show which is actually every week. So um, Fantasia turns 80 this week and actually today, which is November the 16th, um, Rescuers on guys turns 30. So there you go. Um, Also in a random bit of travel news that I threw in there for Jordana, uh, JetBlue is doing away with seating blocks and will be operating at full capacity for the holiday season. Uh, They joined Delta and Southwest as airlines that are starting to move towards this model. Mm based on recommendations from various health organizations saying that the airline cabins are not that dirty, which I find stunning because they're dirty even when it's not in the middle of a pandemic. Um, The Animal Petting Zoo affection section over at Rafiki's Planet Watch Animal Kingdom has reopened. Expect it to be open limited hours for the first few weeks of its reopening. Also opening under limited hours is the popular Harambe Market outdoor quick service eatery over in Africa, Disney's animal kingdom. It will operate from 11 to three on weekends and other select busy days. As with other quick serve locations, ordering will be mobile order only on the my Disney experience app, which is Drew's favorite thing in the world. Disney has also announced that it'll be debuting a new show. There'll be a showcase of the disney songbook featuring the voices of liberty vocal group early next year as part of the slimmed down Epcot international festival of the arts coming in january of 2021 And finally tonight, Disney Parks Experiences and Products Chairman, which is quite the title, Josh DeMauro, has finally confirmed that what has been widely speculated on, as he announced at the International Association of Amusement Parks and Attractions Expo, that Remy's Ratatouille Adventure is on track to open in 2021. The attraction's opening was originally scheduled for fall of 2020. Still no word on Space 220. That's all we have for you in the news
1: today, folks. All right, thanks, Bob. That is some amazing stuff. Let's head over to the topic of the week.
0: The second star to the right shines in the night for you To tell you that the dreams you really can come
1: true the All right, folks, we are here, topic to the of the week, and it is time to talk so about rare. one of the best Disney attractions in the world peter pan's flight so before we talk about the actual racism i need to do a little bit of an overview i need to tell you guys the history and um the origins of what peter pan means and comes from uh i'll make it brief i'll make it entertaining i'll make it interesting i'll make it fun uh so peter pan himself um was created by a Scottish novelist, J.M. Barries, in a story known as The Little White Bird from 1902. And then eventually Disney went on to adapt the story and character into the movie in 1953. That's right. uh, that, That movie is now almost 70 years old and it still holds up. To understand Peter Pan's flight, we have to start in Disneyland, not Disney World, because that is where it all started. 1955 is when the park was about to open, and it was one of the original attractions that still remains, and that goes for actually both parts, Disneyland and Disney World. Uh, The idea, which as we all know, um, many Disney attractions started off with, was to become Peter Pan. You... As a ca- uh, as a guest, were to play the role of Peter Pan and enjoy the ride through his eyes. We saw that in what? Tim? we saw that in um, Snow White. We saw that. Did we see that in Mr. Toad as well? Yes. Yep. So that that was that was Disney's big idea, and to to go off and and be, make you into the movie set, into the ride, you're playing the character.
4: And overwhelmingly, this confused early Disneyland patrons. Uh, yeah. You know, they they
1: would go on this ride and say. I'm on Peter Pan's flight. Where the hell is Peter Pan? You know, you don't see him. He's not in the entire ride. Uh, so it was a lot of confusion on that. So um, we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, a little more facts on it. The ride had such a tight deadline to get um, constructed that they actually had to set up the track um, in a Disney studio off-site. So... Disneyland was being completely constructed. It's being developed. They're very crunch time. um, A lot of labor going on. And they didn't have time to bring the track in and set it up because there was too much going on. They actually had to build the track, set it up, and test the ride vehicles off-site, and then eventually just assemble it and move it over. Um, One thing that's a little bit different is that the pirate ships actually stop and load guests – uh, versus the the constant Ami Ami mover, um, like Haunted Mansion is a good example, or or Little Mermaid, or, or things like that, where they just continuously flow and you you get on the ride. They slow down and then you, but they don't stop. These ones came to a complete stop. You load on, kind of like uh, Pooh's Honey Pots. Now, in 1983, uh, in Disneyland still, Fantasyland went through a major rehaul. Um, pretty much recognizing the the fault of not having Peter Pan. So they added the animatronic of Peter Pan. Also what they had previous was something that I wish we had here in Disney world. They had an amazing pirate ship quit service restaurant and a huge display area of skull rock, though you couldn't actually like kind of walk through Skull rock too much. um, What it was was the, the pirate ship itself was a Jolly Roger and you actually, there was a dock. It was it was massive, almost a scale. You walked into the uh, into the pirate ship, and you ordered your food there. They had the kitchen, they had everything there. Now the menu uh, was interesting, to say the least. Um, it, they had tuna sandwiches, a tuna burger, and a hot tuna pie, which um, sounds
4: like probably the worst thing it, I've it, ever heard. It's yeah, it kind of sounds like a Sweeney Todd type menu, and. Um, if you- If you didn't guess, this was like most of the early Disneyland quick services sponsored by a company, and in this case, Chicken of the Sea, the tuna company. Yes. Um, And like I said, so this was right outside the
1: attraction of Peter Pan's flight. They have the whole kind of Skull Rock with the lagoon and the Jolly Roger sitting in it. It's very, very cool. Um, And Skull Rock actually acted as like a seating area for the restaurant. You couldn't eat on the ship, um, but you could kind of walk around it after you ordered your food, and then you would go to Skull Rock and eat. So they, they pretty much dismantled that during this 1983 Fantasyland rehaul, and they took a lot of those props, like a lot of the lanterns and some of these things, and they moved them into the attraction and kind of gave it a big update. So that's Disneyland, and that's kind of where Disneyland continues to stay today with that attraction. Now moving over to Disney World, there's not too much to really say, because what they did was they kind of took a mirror image of what happens in Disneyland, and then they kind of built on it where there was weaknesses. So in 1971, when they started building this original attraction, they, they knew better. They added, of course, Peter Pan and, and um and they, they introduced the Omnimover system, right? Which they would, would think would be a faster line capacity and line queue, which <laughs> we'll get to a little bit later. Um, but that introduced what we know today. There's really not too many big differences between the Disneyland attraction and the Walt Disney World attraction. So that's kind of the history of, of the of the, the two rides and where the Walt Disney World came from. So let's move on to ride experience, where we'll talk all the way from the queue all the way to getting uh, through the ride and, and, and after the ride. So the first thing is, Bob, why don't you give us a little bit of history of the line queue? Uh, obviously, this went through some changes over the year, but let's start where it all started in 1971 with um, the Renaissance era, believe it or not, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, so kind of an overarching theme for Fantasyland in that time when Fantasyland was first designed and the parks first opened was that it was like a Renaissance Fair European village. Uh, that went from, you know, the castle back to the carousel over to the Fantasyland Theater to Small Worlds Show Building to Peter Pan's Show Building and then over towards, um, where uh, mr toad and snow white's uh, scary adventures are or were as it now is princess fairy tale hall and it's it's winnie the pooh the only one that really stuck out here probably would have been 20,000 Leagues under the scene when that opened in terms of ones that didn't really fit that renaissance fair style but really you kind of get the idea when you look at the buildings that the facades are like tents or like andrew like you'd see at you know, King Richard's Fair for those nah. of us up here in the Northeast, or if you happen to be in the New Jersey area and you happen to catch good friend of the show, Chris Lucas, in one of his many, many medieval times restaurants as well, and his performances. So stuff like that. Um, even to this day, though, uh, that theme kind of, this attraction falls in that castle courtyard area of Fantasyland. So it still does have kind of the tent feel on the outside, which doesn't really fit with the new queue. But this original queue, man, was just non-existent, to be fair. Um, it was pretty much outside the entire show building along the side. Uh, it was hot as hell. It's in the middle of central Florida, so obviously it's, it's hot. Uh, you would occasionally catch Peter Pan, and you kind of still do, out there kind of greeting guests and saying hello. But the queue had zero theme at all. It was just to turn the switch the turnbacks. Um, and it was a daunting weight. Like Drew talked about, I mean, with, you know, a theoretical ride capacity of like 1200 at its best and a real operational ride capacity closer to seven or 800 per hour. It's just, it's not a ride that has a lot of throughput, even yeah. using, even and- using the, the Omni system.
1: Agreed, and, and I, but we talked about that a lot back in whatever episode that was eight with fast passes right yeah. where or around there where yeah um, in that neighborhood you know again they only put seven hundred or so people through the entire ride in an hour we don't need to get into why that breaks the system because we've mm-hmm. been there we've done that but to your point with the line queue and the design I mean it goes back to show when when and and really all the way back to Disneyland in the fifties and even Disney World in the seventies when they were designing this park and they just that was probably enough people, right? You know, right. That, that, that wasn't a big deal, but but the way and the amounts of Magic Kingdom sees what almost a hundred, well, not right now, but uh, almost a hundred thousand people yeah. a day. You know, think about that, a hundred thousand well, people a day, and, and only seven hundred people. But they weren't, they didn't design the rides back then. For, they didn't really want to invest money and time into line queue design mm-hmm. and they didn't really care about the heat because they figured you weren't really going to be standing in it too long. And it it really showed that back then. I mean, it it sucks. I mean, simple. I mean, mean,
3: we'll find, we'll find shortly in random house of mouse to kind of jump the shark a little bit here is that Walt has a throwaway line. What you're going to listen to a little later on where he says that Epcot is going to be able to handle the 6 million visitors. They get a year to central Florida. They get 6 million people in a week now so i mean that's it's just numbers it's that's all it is um i mean but andrew like you said you gotta keep in mind every fantasy land attraction had this queue it was show building it it was was switchbacks that's it there was no Pooh's honey uh, hunt area where you kind of walk through there was no interior of of the uh princess fairy tale hall Nothing. None of that existed. I mean, it still looked no further than what you get at the at the at the carousel. It's obviously a little bit different, but the carousel yeah. is entirely outside. So uh, we did get an updated queue in the mid aughts mm-hmm. or so, it was to 2012 to 14 in that neighborhood when we got the redo of Fantasyland. It's just one of those things now that they kind of replace the bathrooms. And again, to tie it back, when they opened up the Tangled bathrooms, they kind of did away with the smaller bathrooms over here on the side of Fantasyland. Uh, and the new, you know, takes you through the Darling's Nursery, you know, through the house, the backyard. Um, I mean, listen. If I have problems with the ride and they are what they are, the queue is phenomenal now. The listen, queue's is a great yeah, queue I, now.
1: I'm jumping out of my seat here. This this is why I love Disney. Let, let me just tell you. This is what makes Disney Disney. This ride literally almost like doubled the excitement level. This ride now starts the time you walk around that corner inside that building. Mm-hmm. That is the ride. If you walk through those sets and you see Tinker Bell fluttering through and she's interacting with the sets and she's seeing the snow globe turn and she's flying around and the sounds and the, the characters talking. You are on the ride. You are
3: literally standing in the Darlins' Nursery. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. You know, I don't think anyone on the show disagrees with how great the queue is now. I mean, again, compared to what it was, non-existent. I mean, you literally (laughs) could have just given me an overhang with some fans and I would have been happy with it. So you wouldn't have been waiting, though. No. For me, I will tell you the highlight of the queue is like that little hallway art gallery that you yes, walk into at the beginning.
2: Too. There's like a picture of yeah. Nana that's really cute. There's mm-hmm. like all these little pictures on the wall that definitely make you yep. feel like you're walking through the house.
3: Yeah. So it's in this hallway, like you're going there's, there's kind of like artwork and concept art from the film, from the ride, from the archives. It's great. Um, you kind of, the first quote unquote room you enter is the yard area. We're in the backyard and Nana's hanging out there and, Uh, nana's great you know bye nana i love (laughs) love that that's you know but uh you know she's been put outside similar to the events of the film which kind of gives you an idea of what you're getting into is nana's already outside so you're already past the point when they've argued with with mr darling george darling um in the nursery so that's kind of setting this cue does a great job of setting the the movie up or setting the right up like andrew said so, I mean, you kind of, you got the yard, you go into the interior of the house, you got portraits of the Darling family, you got everyone on the wall, there's a huge, huge picture window overlooking downtown London, which you will actually, again, through the magic of Disney, you actually go through the scene that you see in the, in the, in the window, it's just, it, it really, the cue is ripped right from the movie, and then you're put into the movie, in the ride, I think is the best way to describe it. It is,
4: I think, one of the great queues they've redone. I think it's super important, too, because this ride, be it a classic, it's very, very short, even compared to other yeah. dark rides of its yeah. era. <laughs> it's less so than the three fact, minutes. Yeah. yeah. So the fact that the queue can pull you into the experience before you are part of the experience, mm-hmm. it makes it feel more meaty and more substantial, especially if you are doing standby and it's two minutes and fifty something seconds, you know. Correct. Yeah.
1: Yep. Uh, good point Tim, there. Good point there. But um, yeah, but I couldn't agree more. Uh, it goes to show that this ride's not going anywhere. They obviously invested a lot of money and effort into the really queue. Really
3: unfortunate that it's not going anywhere.
1: But. Yeah. No. I mean, it's it, it's it's not it's not going anywhere. And like I said, the 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 queue alone is now in my eyes fifty percent of the ride. Almost. It's,
3: it's Yeah. Incredible. It is. It's. You know, if we go back a couple of episodes to what Universal did with their cues, when you were automatically pulled into the story, yep. not to say Universal did it first, but like Tim just said, like Drew said, like Jordana said, you're automatically, you're immediately in Peter Pan. Figuratively speaking, you're in the film. It's not Peter Pan himself. You are in the movie. You are in the storybook. You are in the ride already. When you walk down that hallway and you see the artwork, the, the stage is set. And when you're waiting two hours well there's I no mean, better way to do it
1: listen i personally would not wait two hours we i mean people do i love the ride i every time i'm, I'm gonna be completely honest with you guys peter pan's flight for me is a rope drop run to, not run but i rope drop i go to peter pan's flight every time that's what i do it's such a waste but it's okay. not a waste. unreal yeah no that's what
2: i do i got listen. stuck in the standby line once like my husband and i we were there and i was like oh let's just like that it's only down for like a couple minutes. Like let's just wait. Let's and we ended up waiting like an hour and we finally You know, like,
3: you have a choice so to
2: leave the standby
3: line. You don't necessarily know, get stuck I know, there. Okay. I, just,
2: okay.
3: I, I was like to it's understand.
2: gonna come back up. It's gonna come back up and then I never yeah. Took an hour.
3: Yeah, but
1: Yeah, I mean absolutely this was definitely one of their better ones. Um so Tim, let's let's we, we now leave kind of the Darlin new queue area, the Darlin's nursery. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about the the ride system and then let's just walk through the ride scene by scene
4: so once you come out of the nursery past those um shadow pictures and the, the interactive elements you come back out into the traditional switchback uh kind of display traditional i guess display area in front of the rides in fantasy land and you go through the double switchback you get on that omni mover auto ramp uh, and, and you load into your cars, and uh, the cars are flying sailing ships that are suspended for a track above the car. Um, I mean, let's just stop right there. Yeah. If that's not one of the most badass things. I mean, come on. As a little kid, you're going into a flying pirate ship. I think, I think that as a little kid specifically, you don't know it's a flying pirate ship until you get to the end of Even the loading better. platform which I think is a, a big part of the magic with this ride and what really makes oh. it more special in a lot of people's eyes than the other Fantasyland arc rides.
2: Or scary. scary. I think this is the scariest ride ever, because once you get off that lift, he's like, I don't know what's holding us. We're going to fall 10, 20 feet. <laughs> Like, well, and I know Bob has an
1: opposite yeah. opinion on this, right, Bob? So I mean, what, what we talked about a little bit earlier. What's your opinion on this?
3: Well, I don't even know if we're there yet, but let's say <laughs> I I true. personally think it's fine. It is fine. It is for me going on this ride compared to Mister Toad, compared to Winnie the Pooh, compared to Snow White's Scary Adventures, compared to its I guess cousin, the Haunted Mansion the sight lines are not the same when you're suspended from above the sets and nothing is at eye level and you're constantly kind of looking down or over the o- over the ship. And I, granted, some scenes are fairly eye level, obviously, but there are mm-hmm. certain aspects of this attraction where I do feel that the sight lines are kind of screwy. But again, to say it's an innovative ride system I, I think is a misnomer. They literally, they, they took what they had done and just turned it upside down. Right. It, well,
4: so that's, it, that's, that's where I was getting to is uh this, this is the other, this is just an Omnimover. It, yeah. it appears very different. The difference is purely superficial. It, it, they took the Omnimover system and flipped it upside down. Correct. The, well, the, y- uh, yes and no. They, they nope. did that. And they nope. learned from was, Disneyland that they
1: needed to do some modifications and they changed those in the rehaul where they actually changed from like a flat bar system to like a round pipe system which actually gave them a more smoother
3: and Correct. less noisy system. Well, so thank again, God that, for that, because the ride would absolutely blow uh, if it was noisier I, I, and or more painful. I'll be blunt. I don't remember that. I don't think that was a
1: lie. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, but to Tim's point, it was, and Bob's point, I mean, it, yes, replica, yes. But they did innovate a little bit to improve.
4: Yeah, no, no, for sure. It, it And it does have the same thing that they added when they did. Did the haunted mansion where the lap bar comes down automatically and they the cast member does a little magic so mm-hmm. they sprinkle their pixie dust on it to close the bar down. So
1: yeah, and, and to Bub's point too, Bub with the 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 you know trying to see down and I don't disagree that it's sometimes difficult to to see down, but I think that part of the magic is that you are flying. In a pirate ship, no different than when you're you're flying in an airplane and you're looking out your window and you're trying to see the farms and you see your buildings. and You're looking at different things in an airplane. It's the same I mean, thing. With is. all it...
3: due respect to flying in an airplane, I didn't pay $3,000 to ride Peter Pan's flight or to fly on Southwest and look at Peter Pan's flight. I, I paid the money to ride Peter Pan's flight to see everything. On a plane, I have my window closed and I'm napping. I I, I can't nap in this car because well, the, the seats aren't that comfortable
4: either. Like, but I'm not going to get into
3: that because
1: I kind right. of went on a tirade about that. It the
4: replayability that. factor. All right. So, so anyway, since we're, we're flying, we're, let's, let's get into the ride before we debate the, right. the semantics of the sight lines. So you get to the end of the track. You get your sprinkle of pixie dust. The bar closes down. Next thing you know, what the pirate ship is not going along a track like every other dark ride. You take off and you fly up through the window into the Darling Children's Nursery. You see Pan's shadow on the wall. You see, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, there are animatronics of the Darling Children in the nursery now, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. And um, then you kind of curve through. As you exit out the other window, you hear that famous line that you hear in our intro every week. Mm -hmm. Come on everybody. Here we go in Peter Pan's voice. And then you are out um, over the the backyard or the garden as they'd call it cuz they're British. And You see uh Nana in the yard in her doghouse.
1: But I think from- I think right there Tim is when you're setting the stage right from the famous scene in the movie you're going out the nursery window and you're you're flying, right? Right? I mean yeah. I think it does such a great job. It literally puts you into the movie. You're I now think- part of it. You know, you live
4: in it of the 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 narrative focused fantasy land, dark rides. This one tells the most straightforward narrative and does the best job of doing it. I I, yes, I agree. It tells the story of the movie. There's no like there's no allegory. There's no semantics or anything. It is straightforward. You are doing exactly what is happening on the ride in the order of the ride. And there's no time dilation. There's no suspension Mm -hmm. of disbelief and and i think if you go all the way back to the disneyland days this is one
1: of the first attractions that came out so close to the movie right cuz the movie came out in 53 disneyland the right opened in 55 so it was so new and so fresh
4: and i think that's what they were what they wanted to do right so good points all right so after we after we cruise over nana uh then we're to what many people myself included consider like one of the more impressive uh kind of like jaw dropping scenes and that is, you fly over the model of London at night. Mm. Um, and all the famous landmarks you can think of in London, Big Ben is there, um, Buckingham Palace, um, the, the bridge right on the bri- Yeah, the, the London Bridge, the Arch, yeah. all that stuff. Uh, it's all done. This is uh, one of the earlier uses of Disney of forced perspective. Um, they There's curves, so it gives you a really good idea. Uh, illusion that you are high over these mm. things and things are different heights. Yeah, it they also... have uh, the amazing part that I love every time are the moving cars. Yep. yeah, the
1: moving yeah. cars. And yeah, Force Perspective, you touched on it too. I mean, it's the same concept that they did with, with Cinderella's mm. Castle where they they made things, you know, kind of the opposite, right? Because now, now you're up above, right? So up top, the clock tower has larger bricks, larger pieces. And then as it gets down smaller, it's a lot smaller. So they really did a good job with that.
3: Yeah, please re- let the record show. Despite my uh, anger with the ride system not being that incredible, it works in this scene better than any other scene. And it, and you, mm. this ride wouldn't work if you were at eye level with this. So despite my problems with certain things and sight lines and everything like that, this ride absolutely needs the ride system it has to tell the story of Peter Pan. I will say that.
4: And I, I know looking into the history of this, Doing the research for this episode, this was, like, stunning to people in the 50s. This completely blew people in the 50s and early 60s minds. They'd never seen anything like this. I
3: wonder what they would think of Pandora nowadays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Galaxy's Edge, they'd be...
4: (laughs) Especially, like, Rise of the Resistance, where it is still a dark ride. So, like, I I think they couldn't even comprehend it. But uh, we are not talking about the new stuff. We are talking about the classic, Peter Pan's Flight. Uh, so once we we kind of zigzag over Neverland, my one gripe with the scene, and obviously there's no way to not do this. Uh, you see all the other people like in front and behind you and you take kind of a winding path through this scene. Mm-hmm. So you you're always if you're not looking down at the city, you always see the other people. And that kind of breaks the illusion that it's you and your story that you're part of. Um, so if Can't I had one perfect. minor. gripe with this scene, it would Can't be, that. be perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So from here, this is where the Disney World and the Disneyland versions really diverged, And I'm going to mostly cover the Disney World version because that's the one I'm more familiar with and the uh, longer one. Um, so from there, we arrive at Neverland. And in Disneyland, it is a small model of Neverland that you circle over. In Disney World, it is much, much bigger. Uh, so we go past – disney world we go past uh some scenes from the film uh you go past the indian village the mermaid lagoon uh a a volcano that's looking like it's getting ready to erupt there's light coming out of it and Mm. steam did you know
1: tim they use aluminum foil inside the volcano
4: i did not now i do that's how they use their effects simple so yeah very very simple old-fashioned effects (laughs) Uh, if, if it works it works and then that uh, that Skull Rock, that's a reproduction of the original Skull Rock from Disneyland that apparently, today we learned, was uh, in a weird tuna-themed restaurant.
1: Mm, indeed.
4: Yeah. Uh, and from there is uh, really the showpiece scene, other than the, the, the model of London. Uh, we fly over Hook's ship, uh, the Jolly Roger, and it is a full-sized galleon um, which is a, a sailing ship with one large mast uh, it is 48 feet long um, it and it has animatronics of all the darling children a bunch of pirates Mr. Smee Captain Hook and um, in Disneyland this is just you see the back half a small back half of the ship with the the wheel and the darling children and then you turn and you see the front half and because in Disney World you have the full ship there. Pan and Hook can have their duel on the mast of the mainsail. You see, you you fly right by these full-size animatronics of them having their duel. Uh, and I, I I mean, that's another scene for me that really works in the flying by uh, aspect mm-hmm. of this ride. But yeah, and I want to rewind a little bit too because i want to go back
1: sorry. to Neverland for a second because I, I love, I want to know what your guys' honest opinion on with the... Like the black light, very smooth, very, um, like ambient textures. I mean, I personally love it. I don't think it works on every attraction, but for this being at, like, you know, it kind of takes place at nighttime and stuff, I just love it. You know, I, don't, I mean, what's
4: your, what's your opinion on that type of style? I, I like it. Um, my issue is that this has like the actual version 1.0 animatronics still. So, mm-hmm. like, you go by the Indian Village scene, and you're a good six, eight feet away, and they're not moving that much. They, mm-hmm. Only two of them are playing drums, but you hear that click, clack, click, clack, click, clack, just for the arms yeah. moving. Yeah. Um. So, I don't know. I feel like some of this stuff is – dates itself, and the black light and the, the matte black light paint really does emphasize the, the dated nature of – the scenes
1: well i think it works so i think it works in a way where um i hate to say you can hide uh, a lot of stuff right because you can pretty much get away with just having black background and just really make you know the characters jump or or the set jump the way you want it to and i think it jumps in a lot more way where you look sometimes at other attractions where stuff can get blended in or drowned out i mean look at it's a small world for example where there's just a lot going on i don't mean that in a bad way but
4: It's hard to see everything in a scene because there's so much. But I think that's the point of It's a Small World. I mean, there's thousands and uh, thousands of figures and stuff. I have just
1: said it's two different designs, right, or concepts, where Peter Pan's Flight is very specific to – it's popping. You can see it with the black background, and I I love that style of simplicity and and colorful. That's just – So
3: what you're saying is you don't like boat rats. Uh, yes sir that
1: is correct however peter pan technically you're in a boat
4: i was just about to say is this technically a boat ride or flying boat rides exempted maybe it's water rides okay <laughs> we're, we're, we're really guys by year three the when we're getting around to the end of year three we're really going to drill down to to drew's real specific theory of uh, why he does not like boat rides and I'd what exactly be it is also
1: remiss to mention the mermaid lagoon scene Though one of the mermaids looks like Ariel, it is not Ariel. Um, and it's actually the same character in the movie. Um, was there inspiration there? I can't tell you the answer to that question. But um, it is not technically her, as this was 1950s.
4: And everybody says it is Ariel. Even, like, some random list you'll come across on the internet will tell you that. And I'll tell you, it's not. I know. Um,
1: but, yeah, I mean, uh, and, and to your point, you know... It, it, I just love it. I, I think it's absolutely beautifully well done. Um, and like you said, you go over the Jolly Roger. They do an amazing job of separating the two scenes by the large mass and sail. Uh, you almost don't even know there's a second half to the, the ship. And um, it's awesome. And then, and like you said, you rock around the corner. You see TikTok, Bob's personal favorite, um,
4: and um, kind of Captain tick. Hook. Big TikTok fan. Who yeah, is it? Yeah, so that, that, we get to the end. Pan wins his duel, come around to the other side of the ship. Now all the kids who were previously being tied up and tortured by pirates are all free in victorious poses and uh, getting ready to fly the ship back to London. And then we come around the corner and we see Hook perched on top of TikTok and Smee in his little rowboat trying to help him. And then the ride ends, uh, kind of abruptly. It ends with the
1: the portrait, right? It ends it with like yep. the, the the interactive portrait where you see the, the 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 pirate ship again, kind of sailing off in that gold pitsy dust, right? Just like the movie ends. So it it is very close to the movie from start to finish, and uh, I'm okay with that. I, you know, sometimes you just need the simplicity of an enjoyable ride. Um, but yeah, yeah. What?
2: I mean it, it is kind of simple, but it, it works. It's classic. you know it, it doesn't have too much in there. there. there's not I agree with Bub where he's saying like uh, in the beginning it's kind of hard to see everything because it's not really on your level, but I think that in order to get what they were trying to show, which is you flying above everything, they kind of needed to do that thing. Um, but yeah, no, I think all of the scenes work. I agree that from start to finish, it's pretty much the whole movie. Um, and I think they fit it all in pretty well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that is why uh, I love Peter Pan's Flight, uh, as you guys can tell in my voice and uh, my passion for it. But before we move on to the next part, I mean, is there any other personal experiences? I mean, I don't know. It's not really one of those type of rides
4: where you can say, oh, yeah, you know, I dropped my cell phone or at all. not Is there anything for it? I, all I'll say is, I mean, this is... This is not a do every time for me. I I will do it if I can refresh and grab a fast pass for it. And then when Rachel and I went down in July, we did it because there was no line. But I I would never wait more than 20 minutes for this ride. It's just too short. Mm -hmm. And I think because it is so closely follows the story of the movie and uh, it's so straightforward. As you said, you see everything every time. There's none of that hidden stuff. I, yeah, just, I, mean, I don't listen, need to do it I, every
1: time I go to Disney. I love the ride. I will go on it every time, but I, I don't want you to think I'm crazy. I wouldn't wait more than 30 minutes either. That, okay. That's probably my limit. I'm not I'm not one of those that is waiting two hours for this attraction. Are you using know, a
4: fast pass on this? Oh No, I'll
1: I'm, you. I'm rope drop. I That's my first... I usually get a fast pass for Seven Dwarf Mine Train first thing in the morning, and before I go cash that in, I go right to Peter Pan's flight. That's how I start the day with my kids. I mean, we can go on that ride. It's a nice ride. The whole family can go on for the first ride in the other day. And then we head on over and start going on that stuff. So for me, that's J- how I do.
4: Jordan, you you using one of your three pre trip pre booked fast passes on this?
2: Before child, I would say no. Now with <laughs> child, I would say yeah, this might be one of them. Just because we obviously want to include him in all of our we don't want to wait in lines with him um so we'd rather you know one of us waits in the lines during nap time or whatever the case is um this might be one of our three fast passes but usually we also do two or three magic kingdom days so you know if Mm. we do we try to do you know six to nine different fast passes so and then also doing the refreshing so i definitely think that it ends up on our fast pass list at some point.
4: But it like sounds like more of a middle priority. It's not exactly. not going to be your number one. Not number one, but definitely in the middle. Bob, I think I already know the answer here. But are you? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> not <laughs> you a video. You guys are are again not a video. If Bob is scowling and shaking his head in disgust, no. almost.
3: I think. I think. I've kind of let you guys have your fun with this attraction a little bit and talk about what it means to you. And I don't want to come on the show every week and, and be that guy that tells you something sucks or something's terrible because in all actuality, this ride doesn't do either of those things. This ride's very good. It's a very fun ride. My, my issues come from the fact that it, it for some reason, never has a line shorter than 90 minutes. And it's just it's incredible to me that we're at a point where – People think Fast Pass is this great thing, and Fast Pass hinders this ride's ability to optimize its ride its ride throughput. Um, I, I think for me, and Tim, you said this, and it kind of triggered something in me. If you've seen Peter Pan, you've seen this ride, and I think that for me, if I'm going to invest the time that I'm going to need to go on this attraction, whether it's through Fast Pass or through waiting, I I just, I want something more than what Peter Pan offers me. Um, And again, I I would never, I think the problem that we run into is telling you something sucks because this is one of those things that as clearly demonstrated, Drew loves this attraction and it's a must do. It's not a must do for me. Mm. Um, I, I, I personally, my kids, believe it or not, would rather ride whatever the hell they're calling the carousel nowadays or or Winnie the Pooh. And I know Andrew's kids could care less about Winnie the Pooh. So it's one of those things that, for me, it comes down to an IP thing. Uh, I would rather ride Dumbo with the boys. I'd rather ride Winnie the Pooh. I'd rather ride the Little Mermaid attraction, which I think is the pinnacle of the classic Fantasyland dark ride. I think that uh, that attraction does – Something that Andrew talked about where he likes the simplicity of the design and Tim, you kind of – and we referenced Small World and it being one of those things that there's so much going on. You don't see everything. I feel like Little Mermaid does the same thing and the animatronics are light years ahead of what Peter Pan gives you. Uh, So for me, uh, Winnie the Pooh and Peter Pan – Uh, Sorry, Winnie the Pooh and Little Mermaid are the far superior classic dark rides uh, for Fantasyland. Whether you like the IP or not, I just think those two rides do what Peter Pan tries to do, and they do it better than what Peter Pan does.
4: I think the biggest thing that Peter Pan almost falls victim to is it doesn't matter if you listen to an interview with Bob Gurr from 25, Mm -hmm. 30, 40 years ago Mm -hmm. or um, with Scott Trowbridge from last week about Galaxy's Edge. The one thing they bring up in every high-level Imagineer brings up in every single interview is we don't – why don't you guys make rides that follow the story of the movie? We don't want to – they call them book report rides. It's like the number one sin of Imagineering, and, and and all these guys talk about how they avoid it, and it's for this reason. Because if you've seen the movie, Peter Pan, now you've written the ride once. There's nothing new. You knew what was going to happen. The ride fulfilled those exact expectations without uh, embellishing them in any way. Mm-hmm. And now there's nothing new to discover. There's no new story that's been told. So I, I think this ride very much mm-hmm. shows why that is such a principle that gets pounded home mm-hmm. for generations in, in, in Disney Imagineering. Why, why we can't do rides yeah. like this anymore.
3: I mean, I'd like the record to show that Little Mermaid kind of does the same thing that Peter Pan does. There's nothing really new about Little Mermaid's ride. I just think it's it's a brighter Attraction—it's certainly a busier attraction, which goes to philosophical differences between whether you want to have a simple, elegant design to *Peter Pan*, which it is simply—it is a simple design and it is elegant, or you want that. Which, again, I think you're getting into philosophical Alderman's two movies. Little Mermaid is an exponentially more involved movie than what Peter Pan is. They're made 40 years apart. And, yeah. and what the technology yeah. was when they had Little Mermaid, it's just such a vibrant film that it translates better to a dark ride, in my opinion. But you're right. Uh, it
4: does, Little Mermaid doesn't necessarily do anything new for but the film. Mermaid either. also has... The songs, I think that Correct. the fact that That's the big showpiece scene for Mermaid is this musical spectacular with yep. a ton of animatronic figures, mm-hmm. it, they get a little leeway. But Mermaid, I recently heard a interview with Tony Baxter where he was talking about he wishes Mermaid was different now that they had to put it also in um, California Adventure, where yep. now they have this book report ride in two places that is kind of a big Correct. deal in California more so than it is in Florida. Yeah, I just wanted to be an equal
3: opportunity offender here. If I'm going to yeah. rip Peter Pan for being a book report, we should point out that The Little Mermaid is very similar. Now, Winnie the Pooh, which I, I do consider the best Fantasyland dark ride at the parks for my own reasons, I think does a great job of taking the book report style of the Winnie the Pooh stories. And again, when you're dealing with Winnie the Pooh, you're dealing with a series of stories, not just a singular uh, uh tell piece that you're going to tell the story of so you do luck out there and i think you luck out with winnie the pooh in the fact that there's significantly more characters that people are familiar with and i think drew to your point peter pan a, a fantastically popular movie but outside of peter pan and i guess you could argue captain hook and tinkerbell Are the darling children anyone you really remember from that movie? And the answer is probably not. You do because you love the movie and you love the ride. But Winnie the Pooh with Tigger and Eeyore and, and, and Pooh and Piglet and Owl and Rabbit and the Heffalumps, there's just more to draw from for that for me. But again, Peter Pan does a lot of really yeah. nice things.
1: I and, and I think you're right, Bob. I think Peter Pan doesn't have a lot of memorable characters, but what Peter Pan does for me that I've always loved, it's the story. It's just the story of going to this 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 fantasy world of Neverland and never growing up, right? It's that it's that I can be an inner child forever,
3: every and, Monday I, night for two hours. Every, every Monday, Monday night for two hours.
1: I mean, at the end of the day, does Santa Claus take a shower? Yeah. Do I care to watch? No. It's irrelevant. I don't, I, mean, the, I,
3: don't, I don't know what that means. I, I the, there.
1: <laughs> <But> <laughs> the point is, if 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 all kidding aside, if Peter Pan's flight put aside the line queue, put aside the weight, if, if it was the hype gone, if it was a 15 minute wait, Matt's every time, would that change your opinion as far as going on there with your family? Yeah, because I wouldn't have to wait 90 minutes or yeah, use a fast pass for it. Right, and it's not going to be the best ride that you guys go on that day, but it's just no. going to be an enjoyable ride you do on your family. Right. I guess that's my point. I, I do agree the hype of it is unbelievably ridiculous, and and the wait times are astronomical, and we've talked about why the waits are that mm-hmm. way in yeah. the past. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just asking you guys and the audience to look past that for a minute and, and respect this very 70-year-old
3: what I think is a well-done attraction.
1: That's all I'm trying to say.
3: I don't think any of us disagree with your assessment if the ride was a 15-minute wait. I think – it's time equity at the park. If I have to invest ninety minutes in waiting or use one of the fast passes, it to me it's not worth it. And I completely respect the hell out of you guys saying, Well, it's a it's a family ride. The Magic Kingdom is filled with family rides. I can go on Buzz Lightyear, I can go to Monster Zank, Laugh Floor, I can go on Jungle Cruise, Pirates of the Caribbean, the Tiki, I can the Haunted Mansion, I can go on any one of those attractions with my family, and it's the same and, and I think there's a better time equity use there than there is uh, peter pan but if peter pan was a 15 minute wait absolutely i'd go on it every time
1: mm-hmm. awesome um uh, i mean great i think this is a great conversation before we wrap
3: it up um i'm
1: gonna throw some fun facts at you guys can look for next time you're you're on the ride uh, and then tim's gonna wrap up really quickly some comparisons as far as the the global versions because this is an attraction that is worldwide baby. Uh, i like to quote my good friend there pitbull so as you enter the nursery scene um mm-hmm. and you fly over Look carefully because the blots on the ground, this is right when you start, actually spell out the word Disney. Uh, they actually use the number five as an upside down for the letter S. Um, and the Buff's point before, when you're over uh, London, you actually reach a total height of only 17 feet. And I say only 17 feet. Yeah, you fall out of that. You could be in some trouble there. Um, but they again, they make it seem like you're thousands of feet. The calendar on the queue in the wall of the bedroom marks the date December. 27th 1904 and he's gonna say hell where did i just hear that year before i mentioned it earlier on because um that is the year uh james barry wrote the novel peter pan um and the date december 27th is when the play opened at the Duke of york's theater in london uh we we mentioned earlier the ride is a, a mere two minutes and 45 seconds and the last one here one of my fun ones is hidden mickey is uh is actually on the moon in the scene over New London. It's there's three craters. Now if you are uh, a California West Coast guy, the Disneyland has one of the Disneyland Peter Pan has one of the coolest hidden Mitchies ever. Uh, it's in Big Ben Clock Tower. It's not the actual clock face. It's above the clock face. There's a row of tiny little windows, and it's an entire silhouette of Mickey and his entire body. Um, for all those Nintendo video game fans out there, think of like the old Game & Watch character. It kind of looks like that. Um, very cool, very cool, him, Mickey. One of my favorites, even though it's not in Disney World. Um, Tim, why don't you uh, kind of walk us through these, these, these few global versions out yeah. there?
4: So uh, the only uh, castle park that it's not at is uh, Hong Kong. And uh, so Paris, it's basically exactly the same as Disneyland. Um, as far I watched the ride through, it's maybe slightly longer than Disneyland's, but no noticeable differences. Uh, Tokyo is very, very similar to uh, Walt Disney World, where you go through actual Neverland and uh, all the scenes separately before going over the full-size ship. Uh, but Tokyo does have one extra scene, which uh, after you leave London, you do a high another high above circle uh, over the small forced perspective version of Neverland, like in Paris and uh, Los Angeles uh, in a in a star field. And so, we uh,
1: have it much better for that scene. I will tell you that, folks, yeah. if you've never seen those ones, it's a little bit of eh. we have it 10 times better than that part.
4: Right. So Tokyo has both, though. So Tokyo is oh. best of both worlds. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. Yep. And then Shanghai, which every time I research the forward attractions for one of these ride spotlights, Shanghai moves higher and higher on my, like, must visits. Their park is – their ride is basically in name only. Uh, you are in ship still, but they have two rows of seats. Mm. It's not an omni-mover. They stop and start and slow down in the course of the ride. Super quiet, super smooth. Um, you know, I mean, th- th- this ride is – Less than 20 years old, way less than 20 years old. Um, Shanghai being the newest of the castle parks, uh, it has a splashdown at Skull Rock. Uh, there's projection mapping throughout the ride. Uh, much much newer generation of animatronics. None of that, you know, wooden clickiness. Yep. Uh, no no fluorescent lights.
1: And, and, and what these Tim do these two is they bring the the Mermaid Lagoon scene to the very end, yep. and they add some of the animatronics there. And they like we have just the kind of the portrait of of the the end scene with the pirate ship flying in the sky. They do that, but they add the animatronics and they move Mermaid Lagoon out of the attraction. And they put it there, and the reason they do that is because, like you said, Tim, now they don't have the Omni move. They're stopping and stopping rides, so they want to give the guests something to kind of to look at while they're stationed waiting yeah, to yeah. load and unload. Versus us, we're just we're flying right by it. These guys are stationary, so. They,
4: they also add a
1: whole scene in the beginning
4: where you're like. Flying through caves after you splash yes. down at Skull Rock, like yes, yes, yep. Or I guess you their video. You splash down, and you're sailing through caves. Yeah, it was uh, yeah. The, 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 the winds. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it. it Shanghai is very impressive, but uh, you watch their ride throughs. Most of the rides that they have a different version of, you'll you'll say the same thing. Absolutely. So yeah, that's uh that's the international versions of Peter Pan. Um, you know, two of them are very very similar, uh, because this is such a classic, and then Shanghai is uh similar in spirit absolutely so thanks for doing that research that was a lot of fun and thank you guys for talking about peter
1: pan's flight i think uh it was a fun civil conversation we didn't get too heated bub and i didn't walk off the show so that was good and um i love it i love the i love the ride and i'm gonna hey, always Stan.
3: love it new, new year new me new year new me i'm not gonna argue with you well, guys. It's it's new, years another, new year is another
1: new year is another sit sweets, bub we do go back <laughs> to the old you all right uh all right so that's gonna wrap up peter pan's flight the main topic and we have a doozy for you folks so uh stick around listen to some walt clips and listen to bub give a little intro in the random house of mouse
3: yeah drew thank you very much for that marvelous introduction uh so tonight we're going to talk about the untold epcot or the unbuilt epcot i still never really decided on the title so that's what we're going to go with Um, Today, in this current situation, we know Epcot as the most progressive theme park in the world. It aspires to intelligence. It aims to educate and entertain. It's a permanent world's fair and a technical proving ground for some of the most breathtaking advancements in human history. And yet its original concept was far, far more ambitious. This is... There is no one more suited to tell us about the original concept than Uncle Walt himself. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the experimental prototype community of tomorrow.
0: The most exciting, the far the most important part of our Florida project, in fact, the heart of everything we'll be doing in Disney World will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. We call it EPCOT, spelled E-P-C-O-T, Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. Here it is in larger scale. EPCOT will take its cue from the new ideas and new technologies that are now emerging from the creative centers of American industry. It will be a community of tomorrow that will never be completed, but will always be introducing and testing and demonstrating new materials and new systems. And EPCOT will always be a showcase to the world for the ingenuity and imagination of American free enterprise. I don't believe there's a challenge anywhere in the world that's more important to people everywhere and finding solutions to the problems of our cities. But where do we begin? How do we start answering this great challenge? Well, we're convinced we must start with the public need. And the need is not just for curing the old ills of old cities. We think the need is for starting from scratch on virgin land and building a special kind of new community. So that's what EPCOT is. An experimental prototype community that will always be in a state of becoming. It will never cease to be a living blueprint of the future, where people actually live a life they can't find anywhere else in the world. Everything in Epcot will be dedicated to the happiness of the people who will live, work, and play here, and those who come here from all around the world to visit our living showcase. We don't presume to know all the answers. In fact, we're counting on the cooperation of American industry to provide their very best thinking during the planning and the creation of our experimental prototype community of tomorrow. And most important of all, when EPCOT has become a reality and we find the need for technologies that don't even exist today, it's our hope that EPCOT will stimulate American industry to develop new solutions that will meet the needs of people expressed right here in this experimental community. Well, that's our basic philosophy for Epcot. By now, I'm sure you're wondering how people will actually live and work and move around in our community of tomorrow. So in the next few minutes, we'll go into detail about some of our preliminary sketches and layouts. Remember though, as I said earlier, this is just the beginning. With that thought in mind,
5: let's have a look no city of today will serve as the guide for the city of tomorrow epcot will be a planned environment demonstrating to the world what american communities can accomplish through proper control of planning and design epcot begins with an idea new among cities built since the birth of the automobile we call it the radio plan picture a wheel like the spokes of the wheel The city fans out along a series of radials from a bustling hub at the center of EPCOT. A network of transportation systems radiate from the central hub, carrying people to and from the heart of the city. These transportation systems circulate to and through four primary spheres of activity surrounding the central core. First, the area of business and commerce. Next, the high-density apartment housing. Then the broad greenbelt and recreation lands. And finally, the low-density neighborhood residential streets. Epcot's dynamic urban center will offer the excitement and variety of activities found only in metropolitan cities, cultural, social, business, and entertainment. Among its major features will be a cosmopolitan hotel and convention center towering 30 or more stories shopping areas where stores and whole streets recreate the character and adventure of places around the world theaters for dramatic and musical productions restaurants and a variety of nightlife attractions and a wide range of office buildings some containing services required by epcot's residents but most of them designed especially to suit the local and regional needs of major corporations. But most important, this entire 50 acres of city streets and buildings will be completely enclosed. In this climate controlled environment, shoppers and theater goers and people just out for a stroll will enjoy ideal weather conditions, protected day and night from rain, heat and cold, And humidity here the pedestrian will be king free to walk and browse without fear of motorized vehicles only electric powered vehicles will travel above the streets of epcot's central city but automobiles and freeways will not be epcot's major way of entering and leaving the city the transportation heartbeat of epcot will be the two electric powered systems monorail and Wedway, that radiate to and from the transportation lobby. And the key system in this coordinated network will be the Wedway People Mover. The first People Mover installation is already in daily operation at Disneyland. On peak days, it carries nearly 40,000 passengers. The cars you see here are approximately 5 8 scale. Considerably smaller than full-size passenger cars would be for city use. Epcot's People Mover is a silent, all-electric system that never stops running. These cars continue to move even while passengers are disembarking or stepping aboard. Power is supplied from a series of motors embedded in the track, completely independent of the cars. No single car can ever break down and cause a rush hour traffic jam in Epcot. Because the cars run continuously, there will be no waiting in stations for a Wedway people mover. The next car is always ready. Now let's go back to the transportation lobby and see how the Wedway will travel along one radio between the center of Epcot and a typical residential area. Leaving the transportation lobby, the Wedway trains travel above the downtown streets. Within minutes, the Wedway passes through the first station. Many people who work in the offices and stores of Epcot City Center board the Wedway here for their trip home. Some people leave the Wedway here too. They live in Epcot's high density apartments surrounding the Metropolitan Center. Most passengers who ride the Wedway live beyond the apartments and stay aboard the People Mover as it crosses Epcot's sheltering greenbelt. Epcot's greenbelt is more than just a broad expanse of beautiful lawns and walks and trees. Here too are the community's varied recreational facilities its playgrounds for children, its churches, and its schools. Beyond the Greenbelt are Epcot's neighborhood areas of single-family homes. This is one radial neighborhood. Here and throughout the community, residents returning from work or shopping will disembark from the Wedway at stations located conveniently just a few steps from where they live. The homes are located in a wide green area that provides light recreation activities for adults and play areas for children. Circulating through this area are footpaths reserved for pedestrians, electric carts, and bicycles. Children going to and from schools and playgrounds will use these paths, always completely safe and separated from the automobile. The resident leaving home in his automobile will drive down a street reserved for motor vehicles. He then enters a one-way road that circles the city center. This road carries the motorist onto the main throughway connecting Epcot with other points in Disney World and with Florida's nearby network of major highways. But most Epcot residents will drive their automobiles only on weekend pleasure trips. From all over the community, residents going to their jobs converge by Wedway on the center city. Many work downtown in offices, stores and shops. But most employees go beyond the city core to their jobs. From the transportation lobby, monorail trains carry employees either to the theme park or to Epcot's 1,000-acre industrial park. At this central station in the industrial complex, passengers disembark from the monorail and again board Wedway cars that radiate to each facility. This industrial complex will provide employment for many people who live in Epcot. But it will mean much more, not only for this community, but also for American industry. Here the Disney staff will work with individual companies to create a showcase of industry at work. In attractive park-like settings, The six million people who visit Disney World each year will look behind the scenes at experimental prototype plants, research and development laboratories, and computer centers for major corporations. So this is Epcot, the heart of Disney World. In other parts of the country, a community the size of this prototype could become part of an entire city complex composed of many such communities, planned and built a few miles apart. In Disney World, about 20,000 people will actually live in Epcot. Their homes will be built in ways that permit ease of change so that new products may continuously be demonstrated. Their schools will welcome new ideas so that everyone who grows up in Epcot will have skills in pace with today's world. Epcot will be a working community with employment for all. And everyone who lives here will have a responsibility to help keep this community an exciting, living blueprint of the future. And now here again is Walt Disney. That's the starting
0: point for our experimental prototype community of tomorrow. And now, where do we go from these preliminary plans and sketches? Well, a project like this is so vast in scope that no one company alone can make it a reality. But if we can bring together the technical know-how of American industry and the creative imagination of the Disney organization, I'm confident we can create right here in Disney World a showcase to the world of the American free enterprise system. I believe we can build a community that more people will talk about and come to look at than any other area in the world. And with your cooperation, I'm sure this experimental prototype community of tomorrow can influence the future of city living for generations to come. It's an exciting challenge. A -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for everyone who participates. Speaking for myself and the entire Disney organization, we're ready to go right now. All right, Bob.
1: Thank you thank you Uncle Walt um, what an amazing to hear his voice and his his ideas and concept uh, but that is gonna wrap us wrap up this week's episode of Peter Pan's flight really hope you guys enjoyed it we love breaking down the rides for you and, and, and it's a fun time for all of us if you have any feedback questions or comments uh, give us an email the Disney guys uncensored at gmail.com. And as always, remember to reach out our favorite travel agent, Jordana Izzo, from the Disney Guys Uncensored and Nation, and Authorized Disney Vacation Planner. She will be down there with the Travel Nation team this January. Uh, so if you want to reach out to her, she'll give you any info, all the COVID stuff. Um, she has all of it. So she's there. She's been there. Um, and um, she's going again uh again we can be found on all social media check out our um section in the info tab over there on whatever platform you're listening to We can find links to our facebook twitter instagram youtube all that good stuff and stay tuned just maybe we have a little secret for you guys coming up and um yeah hang on for that and then if you want check out Redbubble. get yourself a nice t-shirt or long sleeve shirt or hoodie or whatever you want and folks patreon as little as two dollars a month we couldn't you know, be more grateful if you decided to give us that $2, and we'll take that $2 with pride, and we'll make fun contests for you. Simple as that. Come join the fun Discord where you can talk to the Muppet Man himself, Mike Mancher. He's there. I uh, can talk to Buff every second of the day, he'll be there to answer you. That's, that's actually that's kind of true. That is 100% <laughs> true. You can go on there talk to Traddana, ask her about some tips about travel nation, and Tim will be there always to talk to you about some Star Wars law that Bob and I just truly don't probably understand. But so we're <laughs> all is there is to true. have
4: some fun. That oh, is also you true. You guys, was <laughs> also know true. All those characters that I get very excited about when they show up in The Mandalorian and Bob and Drew just think they're cool or new characters, I will tell you all about Such their backstories. Great, all I'll that tell stuff. You what, you miss Jay himself? Hell,
1: he's there. He'll talk to you as well. Well, folks, that's also pizza. about Star Wars. That's right, $2 a month. That's all it takes. You can have all that magic fun. We hope you enjoyed the show, and thanks for listening to The Disney Guys Uncensored.